from teen mom to successful coach. One Woman's Journey with Leslie Hope Holtoff, author of Not Mary, Not Roe, The Survival Story of a Reluctant Teen Mom on episode number 273 of the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. didn't know any single parents. I didn't know anyone who'd been divorced. I had a couple of friends whose parents may have divorced, but like my parents were married. All my aunts and uncles were married. My grandparents, like I didn't have any one-on-one experience with what divorce looked like. I didn't know how to be a single parent and I didn't have anywhere to turn. So I spent a long time figuring things out the hard way, especially with co-parenting. I say I'm a really good co-parenting coach because trust me, I already tried it. Welcome to the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, the show dedicated to helping you crush adversity and succeed in life. Brad believes you deserve a life that is fulfilling and impactful. And this show is designed to help you navigate beyond adversity and achieve your life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. Now, here's Dr. Brad. Hello, good people. Welcome to the Beyond Adversity podcast. With Dr. Brad Miller, it is indeed a pleasure and a privilege, as always, to allow me to come into your ears, to your life, and to offer you a good word to help you to navigate adverse life conditions, those things that are putting you in the ditch somewhere, and help you get through those to come to your life, your place of peace and prosperity and purpose. We have over 270 episodes of this podcast which are designed to help you to grow through whatever it is you go through. You can always head over to drbradmiller.com slash 40 day way. Find out more about our podcast and about our coaching and our courses that are here to serve you here on episode number 273. We have a powerful and inspiring story, which is going to impact many people who hear my voice and the voice of our guest here today. It's about divorce and co-parenting and the particular situation of a person who became unexpectedly became a teen mom and had other traumatic experiences in her life. And she turned these situations around. She has an inspiring story about divorce and co-parenting and has turned her experiences into lessons learned and into a thriving business a thriving coaching business. She shares her journey of hitting rock bottom, finding faith, and recreating her own version of herself. Her name is Leslie Hope Holtoff from LeslieHopeCoaching.com. And she's the author of the book, Not Mary, Not Roe, The Survival Story of a Reluctant Teen Mom. And in this episode, Leslie discusses her life circumstances, as we've mentioned. But she also goes into her coaching business, how she helps people through divorce and through their life situations and helping people co-parent no matter what their life circumstances are and help them to navigate difficult circumstances, set goals and prepare for their life and prepare for the life-changing events that go on in their lives, particularly if it involves divorce and co-parenting 
and uh, and things of that nature. I, I just know that her story is going to speak to many of you. Some of you who are hearing my voice maybe had the circumstance in your own life, being a teen parent, or maybe you know someone who has. Or definitely, just about everybody, he's either experienced divorce themselves or knows somebody who has, and you need insights that are going to help you get through those struggles or to be a helpful friend or a family member to those who have those type of struggles. It's all about bringing hope and inspiration. And that's our purpose here today. Bring hope and inspiration for folks who are experiencing this circumstance in their life, this adversity of divorce and co-parenting. Her name is Leslie Hope Holtoff. You could find her at LeslieHopeCoaching.com. She is our guest today on Beyond Adversity. Let's get into our conversation with Leslie Holtoff right now. Our guest today on Beyond Adversity is Leslie Holtoff. She is the divorce bestie, which means she's experienced divorce in her life and various other difficulties as well. She is a doctoral student studying the perspectives of joint shared custody to the eyes of adults who have aged out of a two-home system. She is also the author of the book, Not Mary, Not Roe, and you can find her at LeslieHopeCoaching.com. Leslie Holtoff, welcome to Beyond Adversity. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you. It's a pleasure and privilege to have you with us. And one of the, we deal with a lot of adversities here in Beyond Adversity, people with health issues and depression and grief and so on. But a major one is relationship-oriented issues that people deal with. And we, and it's often exemplified by divorce. I myself am a divorced person and deal with joint custody issues through my life. And you are, call yourself the divorce bestie. And we're going to talk about that. that, First of all, what does that mean? What's a divorce bestie? So I'm a divorce and co-parenting coach. And a lot of times people think that means I'm some kind of a couples counselor, and that's not the case. So what I do is I work with people while they're going through divorce. So typically I would become involved after you're separated. So I don't usually help with the, should I get divorced? Should I not get divorced? Once the decision is made, the separation is there. I walk with you hand in hand. That's why I call it the divorce bestie from the beginning until the end. And what's important is that we sit down and say, for example, you're going to go to your lawyer. We're going to really talk about what information you need to have prepared to talk to the lawyer. We're going to say, okay, let's go ahead and get ahead of this. What would you, how would you like to see things end? Where do you want to be in 12 months from now? How do you really want to see this play out both financially, emotionally, but also as a co-parent? How do you see this relationship changing from now into when you, you are more settled in the co-parenting role? Through the whole thing, I really work with my clients and I call it a bestie because other than having margaritas together, we really do get in there. We talk about a lot of things. I like to tell my clients that the difference between Working with me and a therapist is your therapist is a one hour call once a week or meeting or whatever that is. As your divorce coach, we do plan on that that one hour a week of one-on-one coaching, but I'm also there for emergencies. So if you're suddenly served with papers saying that, you know, your ex is filing for full custody, I should be your first text message slash phone call. I also work with you in communication. So I help you write 
those emails to your lawyer and I can help you respond to correspondence with your ex in a way that will hopefully make things go a little smoother and help you reach your goals that we've already set for where you want to be at the end of the divorce. That's a powerful service to give because what people turn to many times when they go through a trauma, a drama and adversity, they don't often go to the professional counselor first or to Somebody like me, I'm a retired pastor. They don't usually go to me. They don't usually go to their parents or whatever. They go to their friends, don't they? They go to their friends. <laughs> and, and their friends are not always equipped to deal with these. They're usually not. Um, and that's what I say, too. Your friends are there, and they care, of course. And they care about your spouse. And they care about your children. But in caring about those people, they also can't 100% be in your corner. They can't be 100% for you because they are worried about your kids, and they are Perhaps they might care about your spouse. And so that's what I say. As your divorce coach, I'm in your quarter 100%. I only care about what's good for you and your children, of course. But I'm able to really focus. And I don't know your spouse. So I'm not biased by who I think he could be or who she might be able to be if you push it through. I don't have any of that. Yeah. And I think that is really helpful in trying to cope. Yeah, that's a, an awesome service. But I got a feeling, Leslie, that this comes about. You became the divorce bestie and the author of your book, Not Mary, Not to Row, and offer divorce coaching because of some experiences of your own, which were transformational and led you to the path you're on right now. So set the framework for us a little bit. What sure. led? What's your story that led you to this place? My story starts pretty young. I found out that I was pregnant, surprisingly, against all odds, it would seem, at the age of 15. Gave birth at 16, so I was already on a, t a very tough road. I got married, I don't know, 21 or 22 years old, and I was getting divorced by the time I was 26, and I'd already had another child. So at 26, I was a single mom, two sons, two different dads, and I was going through a horrible divorce, and I didn't know any single parents. I didn't know anyone who'd been divorced. I had a couple of friends whose parents may have divorced, but like my parents were married. All my aunts and uncles were married. My grandparents, like I didn't have any one-on-one -on -one experience with what divorce looked like. I didn't know how to be a single parent and I didn't have anywhere to turn. So I spent a long time figuring things out the hard way, especially with co-parenting. I say I'm a really good co-parenting coach because trust me, I already tried it. <laughs> I co-parented for so long. In fact, my youngest son is 20 and he's only been gone for about a year. So I've been co-parenting since about 1993. And so anyways, what I tried to do is create a coaching business that takes all of the things that I did wrong and turn them into something positive and really help when we talk about co-parenting. I like to say, let's play that out. Let's see. Everybody, they get mad. I want full custody of the kids. All right, let's just slow down. What would parenting really be like without any help? Let's talk through that. And how would that look when you needed to travel for work or when there was an emergency in your family? So I really try to take everything that I learned through co-parenting. In addition to, as you mentioned before, I study for my dissertation. I'm writing it on joint shared custody a lot because I didn't know what I was doing in joint shared custody. We did have a 50-50 custody eventually. And I didn't know anyone who had that before. And I didn't know what the impact would be on my kids. And so now they are obviously aged out of that. And I'm studying to find out what the experiences are with people when they become adults, they grew up in two different households. What is their perception of its success? So that's the gist of yeah. my... So you had your powerful uh, traumatic experiences with divorce and parenthood being a teenage mom and a young adult mom and uh, what that alone, which is crazy, <laughs> yeah. being then going through this process. And yet you've chosen 
to not just be swallowed up by that experience, as many people are. I've seen it a lot of times. And it was in ministry for 42 years and dealt with this in a lot of ways. In fact, I two quick personal experiences, and I'm going to really get into your story more. One of those, I very distinctly remember a seminar I went to some time ago and experienced it personally. It was called the phenomenon of the 29-year-old grandmother, which is basically children having children and a perpetuation of that cycle. And I experienced it in my church, and I experienced it as a, in the school system where I was associated with very young people having children and all the manifestations of that we're talking about here. But in my own life, my uh, I've been a co-parent of a daughter since 1988. I'm 64 years old. But my point is, just as recently as yesterday, who my daughter will be 37 pretty soon. She, so you're probably younger than she is. But she, uh, we had to have some conversations around joint custody in the sense of our grandchildren now. <laughs> so in yeah. terms of who gets to spend time with so and so forth. So I'm just saying it's an ongoing situation that people have to deal with and you got to get a handle on it some way or another. But let's get back to you now and not my story, but your story. I, I just use the example that it goes on and on. You got to keep dealing with it. Is that what were some of the actions that you think that you took? A lot of people get stuck. They get, I call it the malaise of mediocrity. You get stuck and get absorbed down in a vortex. What are some of the steps that you took and then advocate now for people to break a cycle of the madness and divorce and co-parenting all on to start to make progress in your life? What actions did you take and do you advocate? For me, the hardest part, but the most effective thing was really changing the storyline. I was taught that you step one was you fall in love. Step two is you get married. And then step three is you have kids. And then step four is you stay married forever. You raise those kids. And when I screwed up step one and step two, I was just, where do you go now? And I was overcome with embarrassment and shame and failure. And I could easily have stayed trapped in those emotions and just thought to myself, this is it. I could have decided that I was what other people thought of me. Luckily, and I don't know why, that those thoughts and that kind of treatment motivated me because I just always felt like I was more than what my first impression was. And so that I finally just sat down and I said, what can I do? Just to back up a second, you you felt like you're more than your first impression. You feel like you're more than the first impression that you think other people had of you or that you're having. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Meaning when somebody finds out that you're 16, 17, however old, and you have a child, they automatically assume that you were, they make certain assumptions about your sexual behavior. They make certain assumptions about usually your economic background. They make a lot of assumptions. And then I got married young, I had another baby, and then I was 26 and I was getting divorced. And then there's this whole kids with two fathers. That's its own set of stereotypical thoughts that come along with it. And then, of course, getting divorced was this whole thing that I, it was wrong. And I I grew up in the church and all of a sudden I was faced with the fact that I was just mounting up all these reasons where I wasn't going to be allowed to go to the heaven that I'd been taught my whole life, which is supposed to be my goal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and so that was a huge struggle for all me. All that um, guilt, all that shame, all oh, that junk from, and from, yes. from bad, unhealthy. And from my perspective, not a Christian or other faith-based place, really. We could talk about that some more, but let's talk about your story. But I'm just saying that is so huge in my experience. Mm-hmm. It is. And the guilt that you just mentioned, the guilt is overwhelming. And I realized the guilt was making so many of my decisions. I felt so badly about the situation I put my parents in. They were grandparents at 40. 
which is better than 29, but it's not great. And (laughs) so I was so overwhelmed with guilt with that. And I was the oldest of three girls and how my pregnancy and having a son had an effect on my two younger sisters. And so many of my decisions were made based on guilt. Those decisions were based usually on somebody giving me advice. Perhaps it was my parents or an aunt, or I got advice from a lot of my friends' parents, but none of them had ever been in my shoes. None of them really knew where I was, what I was capable of. And one day, that's what I did. I had to draw the line and say, I'm not like anybody else who's ever been in this situation. I'm me. I'm the only version of me. I'm the only one of me who ever is in this exact situation. And I really took my family. I felt like I'd won the family lottery. I have wonderful parents. I have wonderful sisters. I have a million cousins. And I said, okay, I'm lucky to have this. And I started just really focusing on the things I was lucky to have. And then I said, okay, there's going to be things I can't do. For example, I couldn't graduate from high school and go live in a dorm and go to college. I couldn't do that. I had a child to raise. So I did a different version of that. I did go to college, but I lived in an apartment off campus And it really, that didn't work out for me at first. So then I moved back home and I still went to college. It took me about 10 years to get my bachelor's degree, but I got my bachelor's degree. And that is everything I did took longer, but I fought for it tooth and nail. And that meant getting up at 5 a.m. to do homework before I had to Before you do too much further, I want to say congratulations and way to go on that effort right there to get your bachelor's degree. I know you've got advanced degrees and you're working your doctorate and I've got a doctorate, so I know what that means. But- That is so huge because I've seen so many people get stuck at either high school or not even getting done with high school. And it just sets the stage for so much else. So you fought through that. So yay, God, way to go. Congratulations. Thank you. And I did that with neither one of my parents went to college. My mom was a stay-at-home mom and my dad luckily became an entrepreneur and was very successful with that. But both of them were like, you have a kid. Is college really what you need to do? Not that they weren't not supportive, but it wasn't like, you got to go to college and we're going to push you on it. It was me deciding. And even I, for a while, was like, I don't know if this is the best thing or not. But what I did know is when I was standing at a party or around other people, they would always say, what school did you go to? And for me personally, I was always so embarrassed because I knew they meant, what college did you go to? And I would always name my high school. And for me, that was just something that I felt like held me back. It made me feel lesser than. And so I decided to change it. And it was a long, hard battle. But I tell you what, when I walked across that stage, which wasn't, like I said, until, I mean, I was, I think, 31 or 32. It was one of the happiest days of my life. It's a soaring moment. And uh, those people who've done that just say, that's awesome. Way to go. No one was more surprised than me, but I did it. (laughs) Determination resilience, I'm not sure the word I'm looking for, tenacity is the word I'm looking for, tenacity towards getting your education was a part of the actions that you took. And yet, yet, even with the situations of having a child, I guess two children to raise and Mm -hmm. not exactly having the resources of the family, meaning you were college oriented, things like that. That's amazing. Way to go. Another big shift for me is one day I decided, and it seems so simple, but it's so true. I decided to believe the things that were good and not believe the things that weren't. I used to be when someone gave me a compliment. Oh my God, I hated compliments and I would maybe turn red and I didn't know how to say thank you. And I would say, oh my God, and I would hide my face and I I didn't know how to handle it. And then one day I said, no matter when somebody gives me a compliment, I'm going to learn how to just say thank you and sincerely mean it and sincerely think about and remember what they said. And just that small shift for me changed so much 
because it turns out people really were saying nice things to me and encouraging me. And I was just so stuck on the negativity for a while that I wouldn't even allow myself to hear it. And once I allowed myself to start believing the good, it was transforming for me. That's huge because we're talking about here mindset shift here and yes, the mindset gets stuck. Like I mentioned in the writing I do, I call them the malaise. You get stuck. You kind of get, mm-hmm. you get out of it. And in order to get out, you really got to work out of it. And that, awesome. that shift thing is so important. And therefore you can take then what people say to you and then use it as fuel instead of a, some people then take the complimenting the, because they have such a bad mindset that it's like quashes them. They're, it's like throwing cold water on you, that kind of yeah. thing. Education, mindset, anything else for part of the actions that you took? Like I said, just recreating my story. And I decided that I wanted having, being a teen mom and being divorced to be something that people described about me at the end of the story. I wanted it to be like, Leslie did this and Leslie did that and Leslie did this. And she had a kid when she was 16 and she got divorced at 26. I wanted it to make all the things I did mean more and not less. Yeah. yeah. Well, I what it does also give some context and some color, and that's not the right word exactly I'm looking for, but certainly some vibrancy to your story that not everybody has, but nearly a lot of people do have somewhat a similar story that you can be an example for them. You can be a part of a success story through through bad stuff. We all have stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, we I don't all know do. anybody that doesn't, and it's just different stuff. Yeah. And I had these two really life-changing things about 11 years apart. And it would be cool if that's when it all stopped, but it it didn't. Like adversity comes in waves sometimes. And later, I don't write about it in my book, but I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2015. And that was another huge check for me. Okay, I've spent all this time trying to get my education and focusing on my career and trying to really be a good parent. And the thing I wasn't focusing on was my wellness. I wasn't focused on my health. And so that really shook that up. And then in 2017, my dad died. I know that happens to almost everybody. We were really close. and uh, But this was your dad. This was right. your, and the health situation was your body. And it happens to you. I call this, uh, I, call, uh, I call adversity, or I categorize adversity. I call them the five big D's of adversity. We all got them. And you've already ticked off several of them. One of them is depression, which we haven't really talked about. But that's the mental health piece. The D of depression. The second D I talk about often is divorce which is anything relationship oriented it doesn't break up or it could be leaving a job and any number of things the third one is disease which is your multiple sclerosis is in that i just i'm dealing with the cancer in my body right now that had surgery a few weeks ago the fourth one is debt financial issues if you're a college student trying to go to college raising kids i know that had to be part of your story and then the other one is death which is death of a loved one and you mentioned that as well we all got them those are the five big d's how we handle it makes the difference and that's what's impressive about your story leslie and yes i can check all five of those so i hope that means that my next 40 years are going to be cake. That's what it means. Hey, that's what it means. Absolutely nothing but slide Um, on through. That's great. Yeah. I'm learning that the older I get, the older my kids get, maybe then that all starts just applying to them. So then you're going through it again and you're watching them learn to be successful and struggle through their own things. Well, and then when you you deal with your kids and I'm the father of three adult children and two and have two grandchildren and you, it's a different, Deal, but you when they go through some of these things that you 
have, we've described here, you hurt in a different way, but that you got to hopefully be a resource to help them get yeah. through those things. And that's what you're doing is being a resource for people in all kinds of ways. I want to touch. I try to be. I want to touch a minute about another aspect of this, which you touched on earlier, which I think is important to at least touch on. You mentioned how kind of the faith story was a mixed bag for you, meaning that you had some guilt, you had some religious teaching that some of it may have been helpful, may have, some of it been not. But tell me in any way, and if no, those are correct answer here, was there any way that connecting to some power greater than self, whether it be religious, whether it be meditative, be it something beyond self, how that was a part of the story for you to navigate adversity. Can you go there for a little bit, please? I certainly can. I talk in my book, the turning point in my book is um, I had hit my rock bottom. I had been divorced for a few years. I had been laid off like, oh my God, I think maybe for the third time in not that many more years. And so I was desperately broke. I had my two kids and I just said, I cannot do this anymore. So I was living with a friend of mine and it was this beautiful time where we were helping each other and raising our kids together. And and that was great, but I had just gotten laid off again. And I was like, this is more than I can handle. And so I had, I don't want to say turned on God, but I had definitely pulled away from God over the last few years at that point. And I have this moment, right? And I hit my knees and I'm crying and I talked to God for the first time in a really long time. And I just say, I cannot do this anymore. Like I'm weeping uncontrollably and I'm just, the hits keep coming. I'm not even probably 30 at this point and I'm exhausted. The adversity is just too much. And it was what it was, but I felt peace after I cried. And I kid you not, within three months, I want to say my entire life turned around. A bunch of really things that seemed bad at first started happening. And then the next thing I know, I got back on my feet. I was able to move back in my old house with my kids. I got a really good job. I ended up meeting the guy that I'm now married to. Just all the things just fell into place. And for me, that was a really important moment. And I realized that the thing I had lost with my faith wasn't religion or it wasn't God. It was religion. Like I had fallen, I was baptized Catholic. I was raised Catholic and then Episcopalian. And my church was there for me. I was in all the youth groups and they didn't shun me or anything. When I found out that I was pregnant, they were actually extremely supportive. It wasn't anything like that, but it was coming to peace with how could I be the person that God made me and also check all these boxes for being a bad person the way that I had been taught or a failure. And I couldn't make sense of it. And so for me, my faith got bigger than the Christian faith, right? Like I now look at it more as a bigger God, a bigger universe, And I also just really believe we're all on our own journey. So my journey and yours are perhaps totally different. So I certainly can't expect you and I to be talking to the same version of God at the same time or here to learn the same lessons or here to go through any of those things. So I recreated a faith of my own that takes pieces from all of the things that I've learned studying those things and had to find my faith again, because that my whole life changed that day on the floor. And like I said, that's in my book is when everything in my life flipped and it has stayed completely different than it was up until that day. It sounds like you had a release, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff, a lot of I stuff. Uh, and some of it was religious crapola, whatever, from before. And some of it was guilt and all the other stuff from that was imposed on you, whether it was overtly or covertly. And you released it, and then you gave a surrender over to something greater than self. I and then, uh, then that kind of set you on a new path. 
of fulfillment. And I'm a big believer that those who really have a spiritual experience are experiencing true fulfillment as opposed to lack of fulfillment, which is so many people feel. And in fact, I think that's a real epidemic proportions in our world right now of people feeling kind of lost and unfulfilled yes. in life. And so seeking a direction, seeking fulfillment is so huge. And I do believe that there's always, in order to truly have that, you got to have a spiritual experience. And I, that's a good thing. And that that leads me to where I think it's important for people to understand you and your story and how it impacts their story, their perhaps lack of fulfillment, whether it's through a divorce or being a young mom or through other opportunities here, is that you then began to put it together not only the action piece, which I consider the physical piece, and not only the spiritual piece, but you began to put it together on, okay, what am I going to do now? What is the processes? What is the disciplines? What are the thinking, the cognitive part? How do I apply this to my life? And I think you do a lot of that in your book, for instance, especially mm-hmm. when you're comparing, you're talking about not Mary, not Roe. They're talking about you, Leslie, here. That's right. And so how do you start to put this together? What are some of the disciplines? What are some of the patterns, the way you navigate life now or way you are in this whole process, some of the teachings of your book? Can you go there with me a little bit? Life. Sure. I really started, it goes back to mindset. I really started focusing on what I had and not what I didn't have and really just being thankful for the little things. And sometimes when life feels overwhelming, you feel like you're supposed to be thankful for all these big things and That's not what I was thankful for, right? I was thankful that I did have my kids' dads in their lives to help with them right then because I was a mess and I needed help. And I was so thankful that I had them to lean on. And honestly, up until that point, my co-parenting had not been fun. It had been more aggressive on both sides. And when I finally got a little vulnerable and I said, hey, I'm in a bad spot, I need your help, they showed up. And so I appreciated that. So I started to really be thankful for what I had, which made what I had grow. But some days the thing I was thankful for might just be catching a sunrise, right? Or a cup of coffee or something, having heat and air conditioning and a roof over my head. Um, And so I really focused on that. And I I probably took it too far because I became such a a grossly positive person that my friends were like, you got to tone it down a notch. You went from from Debbie, you went from Debbie Downer to happy Helen or whatever, huh? Oh yeah. Like my friends laugh at me because they would say, how was whatever you did yesterday? And I was like, oh my God, it was the best day ever. Like the sun was shining and the food was great. And I just got to spend all this time. And so they said, we're not asking you how any <laughs> because you're no longer in a realistic realm, right? Yeah. So okay. I had to tone it down a little bit, but I just became a really positive person. And I doubled down on what was important to me, which, like I said, I needed an education behind me to make me feel like I was worth listening to. And so my, for me, education gave me my voice. And so it wasn't long after that I was able to finish my first degree went straight through, got my master's degree, which obviously helped my career. All of a sudden I was making money again and I could take care of my kids, which helped my everything. You know, I was just more comfortable and more confident. And, and it just, that, those things just really changed my life. So I ultimately mindset, I know people are tired of hearing it, but it's so true. Yeah. And you, then you manifested your change of mindset by these other things, by doing the work of education, which is no small Mm -hmm. thing, especially Mm -hmm. if you've got a master's degree and you're not working on a doctoral degree. And if you manifested that through getting then a better paying job than whatever the jobs you were doing that you were 
doing yeah. before. And I think you said a couple of things that are really important, Leslie, that you found your voice and you gained your personal credibility. You didn't feel credible in your own right before. Now you felt like I had some credibility. Am I being Absolutely. fair? Absolutely. And what's interesting is around that same time frame, the friend that I was living with, she had started going through a divorce. So it's like, I didn't know it at the time, but I was basically her divorce coach through that. Okay. And then people that I knew my age started getting divorced. And so I started all of a sudden just like talking to people. And I was really getting that I was good at connecting with people and helping them through this really challenging time. And I had no idea what a divorce coach was at the time, but I said, I... I am fulfilled helping people through this. And it makes me feel good that everything that made me feel bad, right, can actually create something positive and save them the same hurt or at least soften the blow. And so that was when I really started. I couldn't, I didn't put my finger on it for a while, what I was going to do. But that is when I first started getting that feeling like, I'm really good at this. I really enjoy this. This fulfills me and started really focusing on trying to build a career that would cater to that. And a key word you said there, I'm good at this and it fulfills me. And I just love that because ultimately that's what everybody wants. And that they want to feel like they're making a contribution. They feel like they're giving something back into the world and that it's fulfilling to them. It's not just punching the time clock or just getting getting by, just existing. That's yeah. No no way to live. And so you were doing this and you were helping other people then. So let's, uh, let's go there. Sure. About how you help other people. Yeah. Uh, I actually worked with a career coach to figure out how I could connect the dots. And it's funny. I had never heard of a divorce coach. And so I thought I made it up, realized very quickly that I did not make it up. It just wasn't really that popular of a thing yet. And so that's how Leslie Hope Coaching was created. Like I said, I focus on divorce and co-parenting. Sometimes my clients have been divorced for years and they're just at a point where they're struggling to co-parent with their kids or perhaps with their ex. And we just focus on how to, I get a lot of dads actually that are struggling with their teenage daughters, which is totally fair because we all struggle with teenage daughters. (laughs) And that it just depends. I connect with different people on different things and it's been really fulfilling and I enjoy it. And I decided I was going to write a book when I was about 17 years old. So it took me a very long time. I wrote multiple versions of this book and finally published it just this past September. And it stops right around not long after my divorce. So I have another almost 20 years of books to write. You got more in you, don't you? You Oh, I can't wait. Yes. I'm trying to make myself not write books while I write my dissertation. But the book thing is more fun. (laughs) We'll see. But yes, I can't wait to write more books. And uh, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to do. Write a book. I'm writing to write a book right now myself. But it is fulfilling and uh, it is fun in a way. But it's a lot of times the a lot of times the things we do that are hard are really fulfilling and fun. Yes. So it's the easy things that when they come easy, sometimes it's just too easy or it's too we slide into patterns where we think the easy way out. And that's, I think with great retracting men, I think that's where sometimes not every teen parent is this way, but some teen parents think about, oh, having a baby will love me. And it's just the opposite. It breaks my heart when people say that, oh, I had a kid young and they're my best friend. And I'm like, yeah, that's not, it's just not, it's just not a reality and that kind of thing. It's not reality. And I know if it is, it's the exception, not the rule. My oldest son is high-functioning autistic. 
Oh, you got that yeah. in the mix too. My goodness. Welcome to adversity. Right. And I yeah. didn't even know until he was about 14. I want to say I knew he was a little, we'll call it different, but I didn't have the name for it. Sure. But anyway, sure. he's almost 30 now and learning to communicate with him has been a challenge. He's the hardest person on earth for me to communicate with. I can communicate with almost anybody, but when he and I talk, we have to sit down and I have to really work at it. And I really struggle with that. And that's something that I keep trying to get better with. And I'm like, I can't imagine what it would have been if he and I had been best friends, for example. Like that just wasn't what it was. It was definitely always a parent-child relationship and trying to figure it out along the way. Still is and still will be. And it changes and evolves. But autism is your own unique thing to deal. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about the title of your book for a second. Then I want to get on a couple of something else here. I just want to be clear. Not Mary, not Roe. That was just your story of those for somebody who's not read the book, give them the synopsis of why that title in sure. terms of your story. I picked the title because when you think of a unwed mother, there's two stories, right? It's the Virgin Mary and then this famous Jane Roe who who got abortion legal in this long time ago. And it was like, that's really it, right? There's not any right off the bat successful single moms that you can think of. There's not really great successful teen moms that you can think of. And so not Mary, not Roe was like, look, I'm definitely not the Virgin Mary and I'm definitely not Jane Roe. I'm somewhere in the middle. Like I think all the rest of us are every other surprise pregnancy hour, you know, we just try to figure it out. And so that's why I picked the title because it's about creating something that's just mine and recreating the story that, that I knew I needed to make for myself. So it's the subtitle is the survival story of a reluctant teen mom. I survived it. I did not want to be a teen mom. I didn't know that I had any options at the time. So for me, there wasn't a choice. It was just the way it was. And I survived that. I did. You not only survived it, but you've thrived it. And now you have something to offer other people. That's where I want to go now for a couple minutes here, Leslie. And that is, uh, let's just say the circumstances are that I'm a pastor and somebody comes to me and they're going through a bad divorce, or maybe there's a, you know, a child involved, that kind of thing. And I say, okay, I can only help you so far, but maybe we can get you connected up with Leslie and maybe at least to offer a conversation with her. And maybe that might be a helpful thing. If I referred a young 30 year old woman to you, who's, going through something of that situation. What's the process? What are you going to share with them in that initial conversation where that might lead if it ends up being a coaching relationship? The way that I start with everybody is a conversation. So you would go to my website, follow a couple steps, but you end up making an appointment for what we call a discovery call. And I pretty much give myself two hours. We plan on one hour, but sometimes when you're in these things, I want to make sure I've got plenty of time and we just talk. And that's where it starts. That's free. It doesn't cost anything. I need to know where you're at to see where I, or if I can meet you. I'm not the best coach for everyone. And so I really try to make sure that if we will be able to connect, we talk in this conversation, we see how we get along. We see what your needs are, if I'm able to meet them. And then we together kind of decide where to go from there. So I do, it's more custom because you might just be looking for co-parenting. You might be in the, if you just got separated, you're in the hardest part, right? Your next year of your life is going to be overwhelmed with divorce. So that person is totally different from somebody who says, I've been divorced for four years, but I just, I'm not connecting with my kids or I'm in a new fight. Maybe, maybe your ex remarried and now things have really taken a new turn. That client is totally different than somebody who just got separated and doesn't know where they're going to live. It's just a different type of client. 
So we just start with a conversation and, uh, and that's yeah. it. You find, Leslie, sometimes in those initial conversations that somehow you become a safe person that people pour their heart out to just almost initially just, I call it bleeding all over the place when somebody does that. That's what I call it. It may be the mm -hmm. best analogy, but do you find that's the case? And how's that? Uh, absolutely. You? And almost if that doesn't happen, we may not be a good fit. I need them to feel like they can trust me and that we're able to talk openly or we're not going to be, if you're going to keep secrets from me, I cannot be a thorough coach. So I, you need to make sure that the two of us feel really comfortable talking to each other. And so I like it when that happens. That's why I give on my calendar, I always block two hours. We'll plan on one hour, but sometimes in the thick of it, you need more than an hour. And this is, the, for some people, this is the most important and scary thing that's happened in their life. And they need to be heard. And a lot of times I always say it's very therapeutic to hear how you explain your life to someone who doesn't know anybody in it. Yeah. There, there's a lot to be said in that as well. So well, I like to just really take it in. There's something to be said about someone you can share with who is safe. That's an important thing. But also has some anonymity, meaning they, they're not connected to your family or your church or your town oh. or your school or whatever. There's some, some safety in that, is there not? There is. There absolutely is. And I pride myself on that. It's That's not even, that is one of my coaching, most important co coaching rules is obviously I consider myself like the vault but I'm also like that in life, right? That's how I am with my friends. And I'm someone that, that I, you know, you tell me your secrets, I'm taking them with me to the grave. And I think so, that's a good thing. So if, the, if, they, if things go well, that initial conversation, then you're able to set up some ongoing coaching program and, and there may be resources that you may provide, or maybe mm -hmm. there may be, tell me a little bit about how it works in the coaching program. Is it a, a like a set time, like a six week yes. program or? I usually like do six months, but again, that depends on where you're at in the process. But usually most of my clients, it's right around the six month mark where you can just see an enormous change in their lives from where they were six months ago. Like all of a sudden a new problem will come up and they'll tackle it in a completely different way than they did six months ago. And something that would have emotionally crippled them no longer does that. And it makes me so happy to see that. So we, I usually do a six month program. Some people stay on for maybe an extra month. Sometimes we might finish up a little bit early, but it's usually right around there. So I'm also a, working are they meeting with you once a week in that six months, basically? Yes. Okay. yes. We have a one-on-one. -on -one. It's usually a phone call. We can do Zoom, but it's usually a phone call. And then, like I said, we have emergency sessions. So as things pop up and I'm yeah. also available to my one-on-one -on -one coaching clients over text and email. So as things are happening, it's very interactive. Yeah. Can you tell me a story, Leslie, about keeping it anonymous, of course, but a person that you have helped? Tell me about someone who that you've seen this aha moment come. You've seen that transition during the course of your coaching that you say, OK, something oh good God. has happened here. My book is very vulnerable and it tells a lot of my story that I right before my book was published, I was terrified. So anyways, I ended up talking to this person who was actually doing my hair at the time. And I said, you know what, Let me. I'm going to give you my book. I was telling her about it. I said, I'm just going to give it to you. So I go out and I give it to her. And I didn't really know her that well at this point. And in fact, we'd never communicated over the phone. I would always call in, make an appointment, whatever. Anyways, I woke up the next morning and I had a four or five paragraph text message. And she had started reading my book after work, could not put it down. So it turns out she was in... In her marriage, they both came to the marriage with kids and had another child together. So it was just the family dynamic. Like she just totally connected with my co-parenting, totally had connected with, with my book. And it was just, she went on and on about how it made her feel really understood and it made her feel really comfortable and just 
inspiring. And it was just that text message made me feel so good because I knew then that my book was going to reach even more people than what I thought. This is a book that's made for just teen moms or even just people who are co-parenting. Because I also say everybody co-parents, married or not, you're a co-parent. Sure. And so that really meant a lot to me. And I was just really happy that she, every, in fact, most people tell me it's a short book, but they tell me they sit down and they read the whole thing in one sitting, which is also, as an avid reader, I know well, that's a really big compliment. And that woman then passed it on to her coworkers or her sister or whatever it would be. And then mm-hmm. that's a good thing. And then the idea here, of course, in our conversation is to help get word out about your book and about your coaching. Thank and you. so there could be more people like your hairdresser and I, and <laughs> a, a lot of therapy happens at those places, doesn't it? It, <laughs> it does. It's it surprising does. how much, but yes. Yeah. Folks, uh, how can folks like this person get a hold of your book or find out more about your coaching if they resonated with our conversation here today? Sure. My website is the best place to find me, Leslie Hope Coaching. And there's links on there to my social media. You can shoot me an email pretty easily. You can call, like I said, schedule, and we can have a discovery call. Any way that's comfortable for you. My book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, pretty much anywhere that you buy a book. And But those links are also on my website. So LeslieHopeCoaching.com is the best way to find me. So her name is Leslie Holtoff. Her website, LeslieHopeCoaching.com. Her book, Not Mary, Not Row. Fascinating conversation to hear today. Helpful in many people. If people in your life, yourself or others who divorced or single moms or any of these, in many of these other circumstances, co-parents that we talked about here, this is a great resource for you. We'll put links at our site, DrBradMiller.com. And we thank soon-to-be doctor, Leslie Holtoff, for being our guest today on the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. What a cool person uh, Leslie Hope Holtoff is. And to share her story, I just want to thank her for being so vulnerable and uh, opening up about her story, about uh, being a teen mom and all the various struggles and traumas that she went through and how she now is helping folks, uh, maybe like you, who need help with navigating divorce, uh, being a divorce bestie, as she uh, likes to term herself, and to coach people through that, through co-parenting and through through divorce. You can find her at LeslieHopeCoaching.com, and we'll put connections and links to everything she's about at our website, DrBradMiller.com. I want to give you just a, uh, a few takeaways from our conversation today that I think are going to be helpful to you. Uh, one of them is that uh, co-parenting, indeed, it can be a challenging experience, but there are resources to help you navigate it and take advantage of those resources. And one of those would be her book and her coaching. Another uh, takeaway is that just to practice gratitude for what you have, and that can lead to growth and the possibility for where you can go. And a third takeaway would be it's important to make one's own decisions in your life in spite of, and sometimes beyond, the outside opinions of others, even if they're important to you, because you need to learn from your own experiences and make your own decisions. Some valuable advice from Leslie Holtoff. And it's an incredible story about a woman who overcame uh, immense challenges in her life, her divorce, co-parenting, and she found her way back through faith and is dedicated to helping others navigate 
those experiences and her coaching practice. It offers a safe and supporting supportive uh, space for people looking for guidance through some of these difficult moments. And I believe that our episode here today, our conversation with Leslie has been helpful. And I hope that you find it helpful in your life and take it to heart. Here on the Beyond Adversity podcast, we're all about, about taking things to heart. Those matters that happen to all of us, those adversities. I like to call them the five D's of adversity. The D of depression, the D of divorce, which we focused on here today, the D of disease, health matters, the, the, the D of debt, financial matters, and the D of death, grief, and other matters of, of that uh, of end of life. And we touch on all of those here in the 270 plus episodes we have of the Beyond the Adversity podcast. We invite you to check out our full catalog of episodes, which are here to serve you. Why? Because we love you and want to be helpful to you. You can always head over to drbradmiller.com and go to drbradmiller.com slash 40 day way to find out more about our podcast, about me personally, and also about our coaching and our services, which are available to you. We hope that you'll check them out. We're here to serve because we love you and we're here to help you to grow through what you go through and look for you look forward to you being with us again here on the beyond adversity podcast until then good people this is dr brad miller encouraging you to always do all the good that you can thank you for listening to the beyond adversity podcast with dr brad miller you can find a complete archive of all episodes at drbradmiller.com that's drbradmiller.com or subscribe for free through Apple Podcasts and never miss an episode. Each week, we bring you a message to crush adversity and live your life of peace, prosperity, and purpose.